appreciate these lovely flowers that Rita has provided for us. Appreciate Dave taking my place last week. Good to be back this morning. <clears throat> Always is, of course. This is the eighth lesson in our series of studies on questions from God. The life and experiences <clears throat> of David are a spiritual treasure house that instructs, enriches, and warns the soul. There is a brief and yet profound event narrated in 2 Samuel 7, 1 to 7. This text contains five monumental truths and two questions exceedingly worthy of perpetual contemplation. First, there is the serenity of peace. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. Verse 1. Cain's bloody hand of violence commenced a flow of earth-staining blood that would never end. Lamech, Cain's great-great-great-grandson, boasted of his violent nature, and when Cain's vile descendants corrupted the offspring of Seth, the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6:11. Implied in God's general law for murder that embraces the whole of time. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis 9, 6. Is the tragic truth that man would never live to see the door closed on blood staining the earth. War in any form is exceedingly injurious. It harms and disrupts life on every level. World, national, and civil wars have saturated the human family with death and endless sorrow. As the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9:6, Christ is the head, foundation, and Savior of the church. And yet bitter strife and contention are as common in many congregations as light is today and darkness tonight. From which come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? James 4 verse 1. Innumerable homes are afflicted with the acrid sounds of family warfare. The tranquil environment in which David now lived would be shattered by his own adultery and murder, ensued by lust, rape, murder, betrayal, fornication, and incest in his own family unit. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thy house. God informed that man in 2 Samuel 12 verse 10. Wars rage in individual hearts where sin and its fruits are constant companions. Isaiah said, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. 
whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. There is no substitute for peace among nations in the church, home, and heart. The serenity of peace. Second, there's the presence of God. David said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Verse 2. The ark of the covenant symbolized God's presence with the nation of Israel. The top of the ark was made of pure gold, and it was called the mercy seat. The day of atonement was the most sacred day in Judaism. It was the day that each year the high priest entered the Holy of Holies with the blood of a perfect lamb and made atonement for the sins of the people. God said, and there I will meet with thee and will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, Exodus 25, 22. During a battle, the ark was seized by the Philistines. When Eli was informed of this tragedy, he fell back, broke his neck, and died. In the process of dying while giving birth to a son, his daughter-in-law affirmed, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. 1 Samuel 4, 22. Third, there is mental preoccupation. As king of Israel, there would be numerous affairs of state demanding David's mind, time, and energy. But his statement to Nathan the prophet in verse 2 stresses his desire to build a temple as his principal aspiration. Life is composed of numberless things that require one's attention and execution. Just providing for the three basic essentials of life, food, clothing, and shelter, are time-consuming activities. If you've gotten beyond that and don't believe it or have forgotten about it, just ask some of these young parents with Several children here in this auditorium. But loving and serving God and making preparation for heaven should be our preeminent objective of life. It was this very sentiment that Paul was pressing when he said of himself, This one thing I do. Philippians 3.13 Life is a Diverse affair involving a variety of essential pursuits, but the whole of life should have as its pivot among those to whom, of being among those to whom Jesus will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Matthew 25, 21. The whole of our life should point toward that one scene and those wonderful words from the voice of Christ to our minds. 
Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God had a work for David and a work for Solomon. It was God's will for David to secure the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, thereby enabling Solomon to construct the temple without distraction. David's work involved war and bloodshed. These were God's righteous wars of judgment, and David was his agent to bring his will and plans to fruition. Solomon spoke to this very truth when he said, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God, for the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. That was God's doing through the sword of David. But now the Lord hath given me rest so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. Solomon's words in 1 Kings 5, 3 and 4. Hence, David's or God's statements regarding forbidding David to build the temple because he was a man of war and shedder of blood are not accusatory or condemning in nature. In two battles with the Philistines, David inquired of God as to what he should do. Regarding the first, God said, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. 2 Samuel 5, 19. Concerning the second battle with these Philistines, God said, I will go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. I'm going to lead this battle. 2 Samuel 5, 24. Twice in addressing David's conflicts with the Philistines, Moabites, Syrians, Ammonites, and Amalekites, inspiration makes this statement. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. 2 Samuel 8, verses 6 and 14. David stressed this truth when he said to Solomon, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into my hand. And the Lord, the, the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Those were God's righteous wars. David was the agent, the pawn in the hand of God, and David's sword was God's sword. And David was doing his work under the hand and will of God so that all of these wars could be over when the time came for Solomon to do his work in a time of peace and rest, constructing the temple of God. Even though it was not God's will for David to build the temple, he did what he could as he reminded the people of Israel in his final words, Now I have prepared with all my heart for the house of my God. 1 Chronicles 29, 2. 4. There is the impropriety of granting permission void of divine authority. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. 
2 Samuel 7, 3. Nathan was a faithful prophet of God. He loved God, he loved the truth, and he loved David. And would never have intentionally misled him. He fully believed he was doing the right thing by encouraging him to proceed with his earnest desire to erect an appropriate edifice for the Ark of the Covenant. But he was wrong. He was very wrong. He was granting permission where God had given no permission. Authorizing where God had not authorized and speaking where God had not spoken. Nathan had entered a realm where he had no right to be. No man can speak for God when God has not spoken himself. Fifth. And I hope you will listen carefully to this unusual incident and what God said and the way he dealt with this matter. One of the monumental truths of the Bible. A gem almost hidden from the mind of many back here in the Old Testament. There is the deafening sound of prohibition in divine silence. I'm going to read that again for emphasis sake. There is the deafening sound of prohibition in divine silence. Verses 4 to 7. This matter was so spiritually grave that God did not delay in dealing with it. That very night he instructed David to, or Nathan to go to David with his first question. Shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Verse 5. The very nature and tone of this question resounds with the need for God to speak in order for man to have the right to act. Divine legislation is the sole prerogative of God. David's heart was in the right place when he expressed a desire to provide a suitable habitation for the Ark of the Covenant. This intent was in the mind and plan of God, but not for David to accomplish. Both David and Nathan needed instruction from God that would enable them to act by faith in harmony with the will of God. Now let us note how God dealt with this matter. God took David and Nathan's mind on a journey encompassing the whole of Israel's history from Egypt to that present day. As they pondered God's relationship with the nation over all the preceding centuries, God demanded of them to point to a single moment in time when he addressed one of the tribes saying, Why build ye not me and house of cedar? Verse 7. So he took their minds all the way back to Egypt. And he said, now I want you to follow the history of the nation from that moment all the way up to this present moment. And he says, I want you to point to a single moment in time when I commanded any man in any one of these tribes to build me a house of cedar. You point to any moment in all of these past centuries where I raised the question to any of these tribes, 
Why build ye not me an house of cedar? The significance of this simple question cannot be overstated. As David the king and Nathan the prophet deliberated upon this potent question from God, what sound did they hear? They heard the sound that only a diminutive, a very small number of people in the world have heard. They heard the sound that Catholicism, denominationalism, and the church of liberalism have never heard. They heard the sound of silence. In all of the previous centuries, God had never commanded or authorized a man, leader, or tribe in Israel to construct for his symbolic dwelling place a house of cedar. Void of authority from God, all that David and Nathan could hear regarding his question was the sound of silence. It is a display of unbelief to attempt to thwart the necessity of divine authority for a specific act or religious practice. Such is the nature of the argument of the spirit of liberalism that sanctions any action or behavior that is not expressly forbidden by a thou shalt not. This self-willed disposition of heart is an intrusion upon the silence of God. If David and Nathan had adopted this spirit of liberalism as their own, they would have argued with God's question declaring, but you never said to Israel, thou shalt not build me a house of cedar. That would have been their self-will argumentation when God raised the question, what did you hear? Did you ever hear me address any of those tribes saying, why build ye not me a house of cedar? What did they hear? The sound of silence. But if David and Nathan had been liberals at heart, they would have said, but you never said not to do it. And for centuries, liberalism has demanded a thou shalt not. If they're going to be prohibited from doing anything they want to do in worship or service to God. The foundation of faith is God said, Romans 10, 17. Love for God can only be manifested by obeying the commandments of God, John 14, 15. Both faith and love are dependent upon the words, statutes, commandments, precepts, and laws of God. God supplies grace, Titus 2, 11. Christ provides blood, Matthew 26, 28. The Holy Spirit furnishes revelation, 2 Peter 1, 21. Paul pointed to man's only role in the redemptive process when he said, faith which worketh by love. Galatians 5, 6. Love for God cannot move faith in God to do anything without a word from God. It is impossible for biblical faith and love to presume upon the silence of God. Demanding a thou shalt not to deny one's right to any form of conduct or religious activity nullifies, negates, destroys both faith and love. Noah framed the ark by faith, Hebrews eleven seven. 7. 
Noah's faith did not need a list of specific prohibitions to keep him from tampering with God's blueprint for the ark. His faith did what faith always does and can only do according to all that God commanded him. So did he, Genesis 6, 22. Inspiration devotes seven chapters to God's pattern for the tabernacle and its components, Exodus 25 to 31. These chapters were not accompanied by a host of explicit restrictions to assure Moses' compliance with God's will, and their absence did not constitute an invitation for him to make additions or adjustments according to his own thinking. When the time arrived for Moses to erect the tabernacle, his faith did what faith always does. Eight times the divine record affirms that he did according to all that the Lord commanded him, Exodus 40, verses 16 to 32. On one occasion, Moses momentarily discarded his faith and ventured upon the silence of God by striking instead of speaking to the rock, Numbers 20, verses 8 to 11. God described what Moses and also his brother Aaron did as an act of unbelief and rebellion. Numbers 20, 12, 27, 14. The absence of a specific prohibition from God regarding striking the rock could not justify their sinful conduct nor conduct their unbelief into faith. And therefore, Moses and Aaron did not go to the point of unbelief and rebellion to arguing with God saying, but you never said we could not strike the rock. That's silly, foolish kind of irrational thought has caused multiplied millions of people to enter eternity without God without Christ, without hope, presuming upon God's silence and at least mentally arguing with God in their heart saying, you never said we couldn't do this. God's authorized means of transporting the Ark of the Covenant called for Kohathite shoulders and staves. Number 7, 9, Exodus 25, 15. Walking in the steps of Moses and Aaron, David temporarily relinquished his faith, supplanted Kohathite shoulders and staves with oxen and a cart. As the Ark tilted and Uzzah attempted to steady it, he paid for the transgression with his life. 2 Samuel 6, 1 to 7. Later, David acknowledged his error, declaring, and these small kids in Jeff and Conrad's class know this verse. This is the old King James rendering. We sought him not after the due order. When God smote us, David was angry. He stayed his mouth and kept his lips closed. But in his heart, he thought God had erred in the stringency of this act. And it was not until his emotional frame settled down 
and he came to himself that he realized it was his problem, not God's. And he made that statement. We did not seek God according to the pattern he gave in transporting the Ark of the Covenant. I made a serious mistake leading Israel in this regard. I presumed upon the silence of God. And Uzzah paid for my wrong and his with his death. The lack of a thou shalt not concerning oxen and a cart did not constitute divine permission for their use. Faith seeks God according to his due order, his will, his words, his commandments, his laws, his statutes, and his precepts. It's God said from beginning to end. Faith honors both the sound and the silence of God. The very nature of biblical faith will not allow it to presume upon the sound or silence of God by speaking or acting where God has not spoken, not authorized, and not commanded. Panama Street knows well these truths that we've hammered over the years and you have hammered in your own minds by your own study and reflection and in teaching these precious children this concept of divine authority. God's choice for music in New Testament worship is congregational singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. For partaking of the Lord's Supper is Sunday. John 16, 12 and 13, Acts 27. For leadership in worship is male. 1 Timothy 2.12, 1 Corinthians 15.34. For gathering funds to support his work is Sunday contributions. 1 Corinthians 16.1-2. And his only reason for divorce and remarriage is fornication. Matthew 19.9. Where lies the difference in strange fire? Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. And strange music in worship. Strange days for taking the Lord's Supper. Strange leadership in worship. Strange ways of collecting funds for spiritual work. And strange reasons for divorce and remarriage. Speaking or acting where God has not spoken is an intrusion upon the authority and silence of God. The Bible is permeated with this principle. It stands like a sentry on every page. It is as easy to perceive as the sun at high noon. It instructs, warns, and threatens. It longs to keep man spiritually safe. It is the mind of God at work for man's good. Only the self-willed disposition of liberalism, which is the spirit of unbelief and rebellion, would be so arrogant and full of pride as to quarrel with it, saying, Why build ye not me a house of cedar? That question points to the realm of divine silence where there is no word from God. No man or woman who respects the authority of God would quarrel with God's question, Why build ye not me an house of cedar? It is a tragedy of tragedies 
that perhaps over half the members of the church, if they ever understood this simple, childlike principle of truth, have forgotten it or have no respect or reverence for it. If you're present and never obeyed the gospel, we encourage you by faith, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've done that, sin in some public way, need the prayers of the church, you know that we are here for you while we stand and sing. standing for the closing song, which will be number 681. Number 681. Sing the first verse be led in prayer. We would like to thank everyone for being here today, especially our visitors. You are our honored guests. And we do have a luncheon today, so we encourage everyone to please stick around for that. And Frank, thank you so much for your words. God's silence is uh, every bit as much important as his word, and we need to stop and really put a lot of thought in it. We thank you for your words today. Again, our closing song will be number 681. We'll sing the first verse and be led in prayer. <clears throat> We're part of the family that's been born again. Part of the family whose love knows the wind, for Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we
part of the family that's on its way home. And sometimes we laugh together, sometimes we cry, sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be.